Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 59, we sit down with Todd Jarvis from Chateau Energy Solutions. Had a great time hearing from Todd about his Mississippi roots and how his entrepreneurial journey eventually positioned him to land here at Chateau Energy Solutions, which we, of course, discuss how they're going to market today. And be sure to stick around until the end to hear about Todd's simple yet powerful daily non-negotiables. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between Todd and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Todd Jarvis, who is the Chief Operating Officer with Chateau Energy Solutions. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. How are you? Thanks so much, Jim. I really do appreciate this opportunity and great to be with you today. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to uh, to make this thing happen. So before we dive into it, we originally had this thing scheduled for a couple of months ago. I had to reschedule because of Hurricane Ida, and now we're sitting here first week in November, which is timely in the city of Atlanta, which I know you're based. So before we get into the show, tell us about what's going on in Atlanta after the Braves clinch the World Series. Ah, well, today, is, uh, Atlanta is thrilled. It's been exciting over the last couple of weeks, and we're just it's nice to get some sleep after these long nights that we've had watching these ball games. <laughs> but, but things are people are just really excited. You know, since '95, just first finally have a world championship team here in Atlanta. We're really thrilled with it. And I'll just tell you just a quick note. It was fun. I, I neighborhood my family has grown up in. We lived in for 27 years. Uh, we've got a baseball player that lives on our on our on our street, and uh, it was neat to see. I don't know if it was his family or his team, but it's one of those full decorations of the yard uh, the morning after. But um, we, we, the neighborhood just loves it, thinks it's great, but we've enjoyed it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, let's uh, let's get into your background. So, if we could, let's rewind the clock. Let's um, you know bring us up to speed. You know, where did you grow up, and then how did you get started in the industry here? Oh, well, awesome! Yeah, I was um, I was born in Mississippi. My all of my family's from Mississippi, but but my, my father was in manufacturing and he was able to, he got moved over for an, uh, an opportunity in Georgia. Um, and I grew up in Georgia. So I, I, you know, from when I was just five years old, we, we grew up and my, my father was involved in building a manufacturing business, which um, they really enjoyed. So I grew up in that environment. Um, just outside of Athens, Georgia, a little, little town called Madison. And it was a fantastic little town. It was, you did something by the time you got home, your parents already knew about it. Everybody knew everything. It, it was just a very fortunate, wish we had more environments like that today. But then later I grew up 
worked on some farms and I particularly worked with uh, a little electrical group. And it's a far stretch to say I ever became a journeyman, but I was a good little apprentice and um, had interest in, in the electrical space. Um, I later then I went to Mississippi State. My dad went there and then my family's over there. I really, during it, while I was in school, got to really get a lot closer to my, my, my extended family um, that we would normally just see during holidays. But um, it was fantastic. I'm a Mississippi State guy. I was, I was a little bit tough because growing up outside of Athens, I, I'm, I really pulled for both Bulldogs all my life. But when he goes to the core, I'm a maroon and white guy. Finished there with a ag engineering and a business degree from Mississippi State. And that was in 89. Um, and then I launched, you know, that's, that's, then I launched into the business world. So that, that was really, that's really the big background of kind of how I first got started. Um, and then, before I jumped out into uh, into the business world, yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's perfect. So, so bring us up to speed. I think when you and I originally got connected, it was probably like ten years ago. I, th- I think you were with Servadine right around that time frame. So maybe pick us up at, at Servadine and then kind of how you landed at Chateau here. Well, I tell you what, I may back up just a bit because it may it may be helpful to connect the story. I, I, you know, from '89, I actually went to work for the little consulting group that uh, coincidentally. As I mentioned, my father in manufacturing had helped them in their new processes, their proprietary methods of running businesses. And today they call that Six Sigma Lean, just in time uh, manufacturing. And I was, you know, in one of those aspects, part of what they would do is they would go into manufacturing processes and put in consistent pools of light uh, to help the overall quality. And lo and behold, when they did this, they happened to do this in, in a project in the Northeast, and the customer was a Northeast utility client. And this was where some of the first rebates, and, and the timing of this was right around 1990. Um, and these were when some of the first rebates occurred, and the utility paid for all of the improvements. And these guys said, wait a minute, why would you do that? And, and the organization's really financially focused and the, the short story is they said, hey, may this this may be a potential business opportunity. Um, and so a year or so later, they were looking for some engineering talent. And that's why I mentioned this is um, I was either destined to get into the ag, agricultural or chemical space. And I had this opportunity and I was one of the first engineers and I joined with them. And um, and I really learned the business. It was baptism by fire in doing that but focused around um, primarily energy efficient lighting. Um, and then from that, a lot of people may not know, this is just a little quick story for you that, you know, the energy efficient lighting business really was a beneficiary of the personal computer business. Um, you know, the key component was the arrival of the you know, electronic ballast. And before then we just had metal and magnetic ballast, but that really allowed the industry to create a lot of little, um, new components and do things that they couldn't do before. That was, uh, it was interesting to watch the market really take off. So I worked with this group four years later in 1992, 93 area. Uh, I actually formed a company, uh, co-founded a company called Wheatstone Energy Group. We were focused primarily on the ESCOs and, and we had a close relationship with Johnson and we worked with Johnson and then deregulation came about in 96 worked with a lot of ESCOs. We sold that business. And you mentioned Servadine. We sold that business, which later 
rolled into Servidine in Got 2003. Um, from there, the uh, and and I'll just say, and then that team expanded, and we grew that bit business quite a bit, and we sold that in, in 2011. So that gets you kind of through the Servidine days, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't realize all the uh, entrepreneurship in, in your background here. So uh, no, that was that was really cool to to hear. So, all right. So yeah, I know I've, I've been hinting at this, but I know you and I spoke originally before we hit record. It sounds like what you guys are doing at, at Chateau Energy is a little bit different than maybe your traditional ESCO background, as you were mentioning. So I am curious to hear what you guys are doing, what you're seeing in the market today in this new, you know, kind of energy consulting business that you're in. Yeah. Um, it, 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 we're, yeah. Yes, we are doing a lot of energy consulting, but we are still in the project business as well. Got it. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, fundamentally, our, our go-to-market strategy is to try to help clients just optimize a problem that most have is, is we, we tell them that we'll architect an energy strategy for their business and then help them implement it. Um, and this typically does start with a consulting role that will evolve into a particular project and then maybe a program. Um, and we may be their um, program manager or we... And we are, we're contractors as well and may implement, you know, whatever this ongoing service is, it, it's, we've been very fortunate with a lot of clients that we've worked with. We've been able to maintain relationships really for years and years. Um, and I, I would think particularly your audience, Jim, the listeners podcast, most every know that if you're trying to go on that effort of ongoing optimization, particularly from an energy standpoint, sustainability, it's just not a one-shot deal. It's a continuous, ongoing effort um, <laughs> that you have to work with that client. So at, at Chateau, we've got experience um, in a lot of different energy efficiency measures, you know, obviously a lot of lighting, but also HVAC, uh, VFD, motor deployment, compressed air optimization, and, and actually water as well. Um, and some of the clients, we've actually worked with some clients that's taken us really to Several dozen states, just you know, implementing programs where their locations may be, um, and we we just fit in with their organiza- organizations because a lot of times they may not have the resources to drive these programs, and and that's really the role that we may fit fit for them. So tell me about the uh, the ESG portion of your business. I think you and I maybe had spoken about that previously, but that seems to be a topic that's coming up a lot lately. So I guess walk us through, you know, maybe how some of those conversations go with your clients. They're probably thinking, hey, do we need to look into this? Is this something that needs to be part of our strategy? So what are you seeing on the ESG side of things? And just in case someone listening doesn't know what that stands for, maybe you could start there, break down that acronym. Oh, sure. Absolutely. DSG, um, environmental, social, and governance, th- that, those are the three areas that have really evolved through the years. Um, and, you know, to go back, again, I've been in this space for almost 30 years now. Um, when I go back to the schools and talk to the kids, the business, I tell them, you know, we were green before green was cool. Then it evolved to eco-friendly, and then mm. and now sustainability and ESG is here to stay. But you know, companies are 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 just looking at they're really looking at their organization. What what is their the carbon footprint on their organization? But not only from the energy side, they're also looking from the social and the governance side of their business. 
Mm-hmm. I'll just say we don't focus as much on the social and the governance side. We spend all, most of our time on the environmental side, uh, which is specifically the energy component, because that's the that's the most measurable thing that you can really right. do right. in an ESC program. And companies are, are, are looking to quantify, you know, where are they? You know, where are they today? Um, and how do they? You, you hear things like net zero or carbon neutral, and companies are making these commitments, um, and they really don't know. It, it's it's a challenge because it, it seems that you have companies that are saying we're going to become carbon neutral or we're going to be net zero, and they establish this date, and they turn to their management team and they look at, okay, how do we get there? So to answer your question, um, we're working. In, in several cases, that that challenge can land in the marketing department. It can land in the operational department. It can be in the finance department. But they sometimes you may have just a, a very short pool of people that are trying to implement that, and we help them. And the first is benchmarking where you are, and there's just a few things that you can do to get there. You know, you know, energy efficiency is a big part of it. Yeah, how do you improve all of your existing infrastructure, and that's the challenge. And then, of course, it gets into on-site renewables, off-site renewables, and then offsets. Those are the really the five categories that a client can go through to try to um, you know, achieve net zero or, or carbon neutral. So to answer your question, um, you know, I mentioned Servidine, which um, you know, back in those days, we were actually doing that today, and I, you know, they were one of the leaders and that team's the leaders in that space. And so that's where we really, our team got exposed to that. We do that at Chateau as well. And um, just helping people understand in their organization, you know, what are the greenhouse gas or what are the carbon impacts that they're making? How do you change it? How do you report it? And that's really the next big thing. We, we're not only working with, um, companies and organizations, we're working with some financial institutions and consulting groups mm. that they're really good at reporting on the social and the governance side, but they really don't have the technical insight on, you know, how to translate utility data over into what's the carbon impact or, or you know, what is the delta difference from where they are to carbon neutral? So our, our clients, have changed a bit and some of the partners that we're working with have changed a bit and that we're working with also some financial consulting um, institutions that they're designated, particularly some companies that are public. Um, how do you actually qualify and quantify the Delta difference when a company says, we're going to be, uh, we're going to achieve these goals in so many years. And so where are we today? And, the term for that is called non-financial disclosures. That's that's if you're if you're a public company, and everything has to be connected. Certainly from a financial standpoint, that's where you're seeing things go. And we're supporting um, several organizations and helping them translate that or, or quantify that. Um, and it's it's that's that's the new change. And, and this is not this is not going away. Okay. All right. So, so you may have already answered this question, but I'm curious. When you look at, if you were to hover out and look at where the industry is heading, you mentioned kind of the financial consulting partnerships there. 
But maybe we can look at it either from that angle or from like a technology standpoint. You referenced you know, a lot of the energy conservation measures you guys are evaluating, whether it's lighting, HVAC, compressed air, water. I guess uh, as you really just look at the future of the industry, Todd, I mean, what are your thoughts? Where do you see it heading? Well, it's two things. I'll first just add on what I was just commenting on about, about yeah. the non-financial disclosures. There's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work for these companies to do to bridge the gap. And you can't just, the market has changed. You've seen some people come out and so financial institutions come out in the market and they're going to verify to their investors, hey, that we're, we're only investing in companies that are going for these type goals that are going to be carbon neutral, net zero. So you can't just claim that. You have to be able to do it. So you have to be able to, from an engineering and operational standpoint, have those changes put in place from an accountability and, and measurement standpoint, you have to be able to verify it. And and that's that's where this ESG sustainability is is really morphed from an idea to a cause and a purpose where it's gonna it is becoming an industry. And you know there's the standardization is is not quite done yet as far as the reporting, but you're, you're going to see a lot of changes. Uh, I mean, you, you had one, one large um, accounting consulting group this year make a commitment. They're going to hire 100,000 new people oh, yeah. just towards this. So, um, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. And, it's not, and, and this, is, this is just the way things are going to go moving forward. So from, from that standpoint, these projects, if, if you make a change to your business and your organization around your energy or, or, or your greenhouse gas uh, emissions, uh, you want to account for that, be able to track it just as you would do any other financial component of your business. So hopefully that answers that side of the question. On the technology side, there's a lot of different technologies that are involved. Um, one in particular, we now are actually involved in some solar projects. What's coming hand in glove with solar is is, is uh, energy storage. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that is where we see the very um, interesting new technologies that are coming out. Lithium ion is certainly everyone understands that. There's some challenges around that, but there's a lot. There's several new chemistries that are coming out, um, and some and some of the form factors are a little bit different. Now you're seeing energy storage, storage and batteries that are now projecting not only seven to 10 year life, there's some technologies out there that are projecting up to 20 year life. And now we're looking at batteries that don't have to be maintained and controlled in, in, in environmentally controlled environments. You have some that can just operate and you can put them in a container and they can operate and they, you can make them work anywhere. So that, you know, the battery technology changes the game and, and why that's important, you can, you can only make solar when the sun's shining you don't need to, you may not need to use it all during that time so how do you how do you shift the time and when you can actually use that power yeah we're seeing the same thing as well now I, that's uh, i just wanted to jump in there because that's uh, that seems to be a major trend right now that we're seeing from our clients too oh absolutely and just the last thing i'll just mention to you is yeah. in power quality and motors motors are probably one of the things that hasn't had as much attention in the energy efficiency space in the last over the last 30 years um, we're working with one particular company right now that has unique technology to be able to monitor motors and actually actually diagnose, anticipate 
before a motor is going to fail, and they can tell you, I mean, it's just interesting of some of the information. And these these are the technologies that, that are going to continue to just change our market. Um, so it's a fascinating world that, that we're living in in this space. And, and you can tell I'm, I'm an energy. Uh, I've got the energy bug, and I tell everybody, if you ever get the energy bug, it's hard to get out of it. So these different technologies will continue to change the landscape. Yeah, certainly. Well, I couldn't tell. It sounds like you've got no passion and no energy for this space talk. So I don't even, I don't even know why you're, you're in this now. Um, well, good, good stuff. I think that's a good point for us to transition to the last part of the show here. Uh, same four questions that I asked every guest who comes on. And I wanted to lead off here and ask you, Todd, what are your daily non-negotiables? Yeah, I'll tell you that, you know, those are, when I, you first asked me that, I was like, those seem like real complicated questions, but I distilled it down and, and, and really, you know, my first two things are really hand in hand. Um, the, the first is just just honesty, whether you're we're being honest, uh, you know, with our clients, each other, and you know that seems obvious. But the other is just being nice to people. Uh, those are just you know the top two things I would start with, and and people you work with, your clients. Um, you know, I, I've told my children growing up. We just tell everybody in our business, the only thing that you can really control is your reputation in terms of how, you know, what you do and how people can rely on you. And if you can be nice to people and be honest, um, that really sets the groundwork first to keep a lot of things out of trouble, but then also, you know, life and business is hard enough, but if, if you could start with that clean sheet of paper, um, if it's on either on relationships or doing business, I'd say those are the first two things. The third that I'll say, and these aren't really necessarily in order, but, um, I focus a lot now on my health and, and it seems like as you get older, you, you probably get, that becomes more important to you. Thought I always did that, but certainly not like I do today. And, and, um, just very thankful for the good health that we do have. And lastly, uh, just keeping that ongoing awareness and, and very much very thankful for my faith. So that's, um, those are, those are the, the four, you know, basic things that I would try to say that every day, you know, try to, I really start the morning with all four of these. What advice would you give to your 22 year old self as you're graduating from Mississippi state? You know, reach further for those opportunities, you know, and, and, and take, take advantage of each, unique one that you may have that you may be a little bit timid towards that that may be out of your com- comfort zone because as as life gets you know as life moves on it, it's really new experiences and meeting new people are really what shape us and you you really don't start thinking about that and start till you start looking in the rearview mirror and seeing what happened but um early you may say no i don't know if i want to do that or meet him or go do this I, I, w- I would just say just a gentle little push in the back to say, go ahead and do it. Always keep yourself in that comfort zone because um, there's there's usually not any, almost most 99% of the time, there's absolutely no downside. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I I just really enjoy working with the people I work with. You know, I've, I'm working with the same team. Many of us have been together for 20, almost 25 years. Uh love working with businesses and clients. I've always enjoyed understanding the technical aspects and being able to communicate those to a, a business 
that only maybe focus on the financial and being that virtual trans, you know, translator, if you will, um, and helping people that just don't even been doing things for years and years. And you can leave them many times at the environment they're working in or the work that they're doing or their manufacturing or whatever, whatever the business is, is better. And you've shown them how to do it. You know, I, I look at it, the business that we're in is, you know, we save people money, we put people to work, and we help the environment. So that's not, it's hard for anybody really to argue around any of those. And I love that that's what we're doing. All right, last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? I won't say it's easy, but it's just certainly my relationship with my wife, my children, and friends, you know, that just knowing how they can uh, count on me and making sure I'm doing the right things for them and that I've done the right things for them. And then overall, whatever business organization activity or whatever I've done, or just wherever I've been that I just left it better than I found it. Uh, I, I think if, if, if we can all do that and, and try to make things better, and I hope that's how I'm viewed. And, and that's really what I'm passionate about is how do you just leave it better than you found it? I hope that works. Definitely works. I think that's a, way to, a great way to wrap up the show here. So, Todd, thanks a lot for your time, and thanks for coming on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Hey, thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate it, Jim. And thanks for asking me to join this. And, and uh, uh, good luck to you, and I and, and, uh, appreciate you doing what you're doing. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Yep. All right, there you have it, episode 59 with Todd Jarvis. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.